All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the latest podcast installment of Rockstar 101. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He's the rock star. Class is in session. And Shim, you put something out on social media. Uh, this was about middle of June. Um, and it had to do with you potentially doing a cover album. And you asked if you were to do a cover album, is there a specific artist or song that people would like to hear you cover? And you got a lot of responses on this stuff. Um, so something that got brought up on the morning show that I work on was cover songs that are better than the original. And... One of the reasons this topic can be so difficult is because you can have a good cover song, but the question is, is it better than the original? So I want to see, first of all, uh, what you think of cover songs in general. Do you think that they should be covered similarly, or do you think they should be done completely differently than the original? And then let's let's get down to the topic of, do we think of, are there some cover songs that we can think of that are better than the actual original? So, cover songs, similar or completely different to you? I think it's a double... I think there's two ways to go about it. And I remember... Uh, I think my dad was the one that told me this when I was first... Because when you first start to learn how to play instruments, you you learn by learning other people's songs. Yeah. And so you, you go and you do your school your high school concerts and you play... You know, I've, I've seen countless videos of people covering my songs at high school concerts and stuff, which is awesome. But um, one of the pieces of advice my dad gave me was... If you're going to do a cover song, you either have to do it better than the original or different. Either one works. If you do it different, like a totally different arrangement and a different, like a different vision of it, then it can't be really compared to the original. It's just a reimagining of the original. Mm-hmm. Or you have to do it better. You have to do the original version, but make it better somehow. And better, better is one of those things that's really open to interpretation in a lot of ways, but usually you'll get a consensus from fans if it's better or not. And I mean, one of the ways to make a cover better is just to give it more energy, to make it more aggressive or make it, you know, more angsty or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. But even then, it's tough, man. I mean, if you love an original version of a song, like even just the original master recording, it's going to be hard pressed to get fans of the original recording to prefer your version. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you do the same version. So like, what, like, do you, have you got your list there? Like what, what are some, what are some examples and we can start to dissect this stuff? Do you want some examples of ones that are considered better? Yeah. Yeah. Give me one. Give me a couple examples that you consider better and tell me if you agree. Like what's, what's one, what's, what's a couple that have a consensus from fans that's better. And do you agree with that? Well, I think one of the big ones, and it's not in the rock genre, but it's Whitney Houston's version of I Will Always Love You. It's a song by Dolly Parton, but then she covered it yes. for the Bodyguard soundtrack. And that one, yep. I think by most people, is considered better. Not to take anything away from Dolly Parton's version, but just the way that Whitney Houston covered it um, was amazing. It was fantastic. So that's one that vaults, I think, on most people's lists to the top of cover songs that are better than the original. One for me that is in the rock genre that is hands down better than the original is Jimi Hendrix's version of All Along the Watchtower. Yeah, I think, yeah, those, everyone would agree with you on that. And side note, a fun story about that stuff with Dolly Parton. Did you hear about, have you ever heard the story about what happened with Dolly Parton with Elvis Presley? I don't think I have. Okay, so basically, 
Dolly, I mean, Dolly Parton, for better or worse, say what you want about her. She is an icon. She's, she's one of the greatest songwriters ever. But, I mean, can you imagine being in her position, all right? It's the 60s. She's a woman. She's beautiful, and that's great when you're attempting to market yourself as a singer, but she is one of the best songwriters in history, and she wrote all of her own music. And she had I Will Always Love You. She had it written, and Elvis Presley's management were like, we want Elvis to cover this, to do this, this song. So he's going to do this song. And she came in to the recording session on the day, right? And this is a baller move and a baller story because Elvis Presley is the biggest artist in history, definitely the biggest artist in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And so she walked, she walked, this is what the version that I've heard. So you'll have to, uh, you know, forgive me if I get any minor details wrong, but the basic, but the basic, basic version is she gets into the studio, Elvis is coming in, band's ready to go, arrangement's set, we're, we're doing your song, but there's no paperwork that's been signed. And the general rule with publishing on a song is that if you write the song and you have a demo of the song, that's you, you own the song, like the actual, the publishing, you wrote the song, right? So what they're going to do now is they're going to make, they're going to record a new recording of her song. Mm-hmm. So they will own the master recording and Elvis Presley and their team will own the master recording, but all of the publishing, the songwriting royalties, they're hers. So all the money that's generated from that portion of the recording, it goes to her because she wrote the song and they come in and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, it's like, you know, half an hour before we're about to start cutting your song and Elvis is going to come in and sing it. You need to sign this piece of paper that says that we get 90% of the publishing. Okay. And you're going to sign over 90% of the public. I forget what it was, but it was a stupid amount. You know, even if it was like 50%. She she doesn't have to do that. She owns the song. She's within her rights to say, "Well, I'm sorry. At this time, it's like it's the same as owning a car. It's like if someone comes to you and says, "Yeah, you, we're going to buy your car. You know, we said we were going to borrow it, but we're going to buy it now, and you're going to give it to us." If you own the car, you're within your rights to say, "Nah, no, that's not what we talked about, and that's not the deal." And I currently own the papers to the car, so no, I'm just going to drive away. And that's what you know in in the real world. That's kind of. The example, when it comes to publishing, if you own the song, once you sign away the publishing to a song, you can't get it back unless you want to go and offer, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or however much. Mm -hmm. But the other person who then owns the publishing now owns it and can say, I don't care how much money you offer me. I'm not selling it back to you. So Dolly Parton sitting in the studio, one of the biggest recording studios in the world, the biggest artist in the world is about to come and cut her song. And 10% of that song would be money. You know, ten percent of of that recording, but they they would own the rights. So therefore, when Whitney Houston covers the song decades later, Elvis Presley's estate would have gotten the publishing instead of Dolly Parton. So Dolly Parton, straight. I mean, think about it. Dolly Parton's in a, a young, fairly you know unknown songwriter at the time. Mm-hmm. She needs a breakout, and she's doing well, but she ain't Dolly Parton yet. And she walked out of the session. She left, and she and they didn't cut the song. And she was like, no, I'm not going to let you rip me off. This is my song. You're not just going to, you know, strong arm me because Elvis is coming into the, into the, the building. Mm-hmm. So, and she left and that was it. And I think that's one of the most baller moves in history to have the biggest artist. And they, they, were, lit, they were just trying to bully her. They looked at her and they're, they're like, you're a, a blonde little girl that just wrote a good song. We're just going to, we're going to take full advantage of you. And you you got no idea what's coming. And she just got up and left and said, I know exactly what my rights are and you can't do anything. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. 
And she was like, you're not, like, I'm not signing over. She's like, I know how good this song is. And she was right. It was a hit for her when she released it later on. And it was a massive hit for for, um, Whitney for Whitney Houston, Houston yeah. later. Yeah. And it was, and, and Whitney Houston's version, I think everyone can agree, was a better version. But that's because Whitney's one of the best singers in history. And the version was amazing. Mm-hmm. But that, but I think that song is fantastic. And it really is a great testament to, to, to young people who are, getting into the business, especially understanding publishing, if you are a creator of content and music. I was talking to Jamie, Jamie Lewis, my bass player from thebassist.net, and he, we were talking about it just at breakfast this morning, how he would rather own everything and run everything himself and not sign over because once you sign it over, A, it's gone, and B, they can do any number of things to screw it up. And once it's screwed up, that's your career down, down the drain. Mm-hmm. So knowing that you do have ownership of it and that you don't have to sign over anything until it's fair or until it's in your best interest or you're comfortable with it, that's a lesson a lot of people don't learn until much later. So for her to say that when she's like 21 mm-hmm. and she just was like, she was, I mean, that's a, that was, that takes balls, man. That takes guts because you never know when the next shot's going to come. But I think she believed in herself enough to know that she was really bloody good. And she was like, if it ain't this, it'll be something else. You know, if you don't want to cover it, then some other great singer will take the song and give me a fair deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that, uh, that. That's a great thing about that song. But we have a habit of doing this. We segue off into the other territories. Coming back to cover songs, all on the Watchtower, I agree with that, definitely. Hendrix is – I, I didn't know that uh, all on the Watchtower was a cover until later. That's one of the best things about a great cover song. You think that the, the, the artist covering it, like Hallelujah mm-hmm. – by Jeff Buckley. When I first heard that version, I'd never heard the original. I mean, I was only 15 when I first heard uh, his version of it. Mm-hmm. But it took me, it wasn't until later that I realized that was a cover song. But his version is the version that everyone really knows. We kind of figured out that any song by Bob Dylan, because as a musician, he wasn't the greatest. He definitely had a distinct style. As a writer, he's top tier, one of the absolute best. But when it came to musicianship and uh, the actual performance of a song, somebody else covering it probably did it better. And that was one of the things that we ended up shutting down when we talked about this on the the morning show, was that you could almost name any Bob Dylan song. And the, the cover was probably going to be better than the original, like Jimi Hendrix. Uh, another song, And this one I think most people agree with as well, that the cover song is better than the original, is Johnny Cash's version of Hurt. This is is an interesting split decision type of thing because Nine Inch Nails' version of that song is a classic. It's an epic song. It's amazing. And it really, it's a great example. Trent Reznor's original version is a great example of... I think it's really poetic and interesting because it's about wanting or wanting to die or accepting that death is coming. You know, it's being, it's in that dark place. Now, Trent's a dark guy and he's written a lot of dark stuff. And I'm sure, you know, everyone knows about his history with drugs and abuse and the whole thing. And so for him, he would have been in a place where that was 100% authentic. Then for Johnny Cash to do his covers record, do that song knowing that it was probably the last piece of music he was going to put out because he knew that he was sick and he was on the way out. Mm -hmm. So he's singing that song from just as authentic a place, but from a different perspective. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
So that, and that version is haunting, dude. Like Johnny Cash's version. I think it's almost as if like, it's just, it's just weird. It's like it, they, they both tapped into the core emotion of what that song is and what it was saying. But because Johnny Cash was literally living it day to day, knowing that death is coming any day now, and it's in, it's, it's in real time. Whereas for, for Trent, he was writing it because, I mean, he was like in his early 20s when that song came out. Mm-hmm. So he's writing it in more of a like, maybe I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm on drugs and maybe I'm like, like, and if it does happen, that's okay. Johnny was like, it could literally happen while I'm singing this cut of the song right now in the studio. He could drop dead. Like, because he was so sick. And like, that's, that it's so haunting, man. You can hear it in the, in the version. Yeah. I think that one of the things that especially makes it like that too, like you're saying is that you can hear that he's not just covering the song. He's not just re-singing the lyrics. The feeling of the lyrics is portrayed in his voice and how he is singing it and how he is approaching it. Because it's one thing to just kind of cover a song and it's one, you know, and you're, you're just, you know, you're redoing the guitars and the drums and, and uh, the lyrics and everything else. But when you are in the emotions of that song, it really comes off a lot more so than just a standard cover, which I think helps kind of vault this one up into the status of better than the original. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple other songs here. These ones aren't necessarily in the rock genre, but you've got Sinead O'Connor's version of Nothing Compares to You. I've seen that one pop up on a lot of lists, that her version is better than uh, Prince's version. I have also seen the Red Hot Chili Peppers version of Higher Ground pop up, saying that people think it's better than Stevie Wonder's original version. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. And see, that one for me, like, that's a good song. But I don't know if I can put it above the original. No, I think uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers version of that song is great. Definitely great. But you, I mean, you're exactly, you're, he's, this goes back to what you were saying. If you cover a Bob Dylan song, you're going to probably do a better performance because his voice was just really like, he wasn't known for being a good singer. He was being, he was known for being a good songwriter. Stevie Wonder is one of the greatest musicians in history. You know, singing, playing, composing, producing, play the drums, bass, keys, horns, everything on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, to do a better performance than Stevie Wonder, I mean, like, Stevie Wonder's up there with Michael Jackson as being, like, one of the best performers and musicians in history. And so, like, they're, the, the Chili Peppers one had more attitude for sure. But that's one of those things where I think that would fall under – the description of what I was saying, you either make it sound better than the original or different. And the Chili Peppers version is definitely different. It's very, it, it's like, like that doesn't sound like the, it's the same arrangement, but they're rocking the shit out of that song. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're, they're, everything's turned up to 11 on that version. So because it's different and it has more angst and energy and like, it sounds like it's coming straight out of a live show from a club at the Viper Room in Hollywood in the early 80s. That's why that sounds so different. And that's why I can understand why people might say, oh, it's a better, but, but man, I'd still have to go by. I love the peppers and I love everything they've ever done. But I'd, but when you're, com- when you're competing with Stevie Wonder, I'd still probably have to go back to Stevie. Yeah, that's, that's a tall order. Because another one that pops up frequently uh, is Cake's version of I Will Survive covering Gloria Gaynor. And again, I love Cake's version. But I don't think you can put that above Gloria Gaynor's original version of "I Will Survive." Like I don't think you can do that. No, I think, I think that's a that's a that's a 
that's black and white for me. There's no way. Like, Cake's great. Love Cake. Then you like, precursor. No disrespect to any of the bands that we're talking about right now just because the original happened to be better. But I Will Survive is a classic, perfect song and the production and the original recording. You're, you, it's going to be hard to do better than that, man. Well, that's the thing is that just because we're not saying that the cover's better than the original, it's not taking anything away from these bands. These are no. really good songs, like Cake's version right there, really good song. Another one, uh, Tainted Love, originally done by Gloria Jones, covered by Soft Cell, which generally Soft Cell, their version's the one that most people know, but then Marilyn Manson covered it for the Not Another Teen Movie soundtrack. Yeah. I love Marilyn Manson's version, and this one is really, really, really close to being better for me just because the way that he took this song and made it his own. Like as we look back at Hurt and Johnny Cash's version and how he was within, in those lyrics, a song that's so deep. But what Marilyn Manson did with Tainted Love is he made it his own. He put that true Marilyn Manson spin on it, which to me vaults this thing up towards the top of that's an amazing cover that quite possibly is better than the original. Not to say that the original stunk, not to say that the original wasn't good, but I really like what Marilyn Manson did with that song. Well, that falls thats that, that falls under that thing I was telling you where that's the open to interpretation. If you do a version that is significantly different, then people get to make their choice based on their personal taste. For me, luckily, like I, I have never been a fan of that particular song. I never understood why it was such a massive hit. I know that it's technically a good song, but every time I, every time the original version comes on or the Marilyn Manson one, I just never was able to get into that song. So when he did a cover of it, I remember thinking, you know, you did Sweet Dreams, and Sweet Dreams is a great one. So I think that his version of Sweet Dreams is better than the original, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then he, And then I think what happened is the label... The label would have gone to him and said, hey, you know, you had such a massive hit with a cover. We've got this teen movie thing. We want you to do another cover and try to sort of because he was he was kind of he he wasn't he was he wasn't down, but he wasn't as big as he had been. He was like he could have released a dud record and it would have really been bad for him at that point in his career. So when he released Tainted Love, it was like, all right, we're going to hedge our bets and put out a cover that's, you know, so that we've we've, we've got a bit more chips on the table to try to make sure it works because it worked for you before. But I, I couldn't get behind either of those songs. And that's the funny thing. Why covers are so open to interpretation. You prefer that song over the original. I don't really like either of them personally. Well, and then that's also comes down to, you know, your opinion on the song in general. Now, is there a song that you can think of? And I'll give you a couple of minutes here because I got a couple of other examples, but see if you can think of a song that you did not like the original. Right. But a cover was done that you really enjoyed. If there's if there's one out there that you can think of like that, because for that one, you didn't even like the original. So to like a cover, it's going to take a lot to really yeah. get that thing past it. But the next one I want to get to here, and this is a song that I don't think a lot of people know is a cover, but it's Come On, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot. Because that's kind of Quiet Riot's big song. That's the one that most people know them for. But I'm not sure a lot of people realize that... That was a cover song that they didn't originally do it. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Come on, feel the noise. Um, originally done by Slade, and it was covered by Quiet Riot. Uh, another song here, and this one, again, not in the rock genre, but when you think of this song, you think of the cover. You don't necessarily think of the original, and it's Red Red Wine. Really? Yeah. The one that everybody thinks of is the version by UB40, but the song's originally done by Neil Diamond. 
See, I didn't know that either. <laughs> well, it's an educational it's, show today. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So, Damn, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so it, for me, I think something that uh, probably vaults a cover song to better than the original has to be if most people only think of the cover song. Like when they when, it, when you're asked about it, like yeah. uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. She covered that. That wasn't an original Cyndi Lauper song. But when you think of that song and you and that you clicks into your brain, you think of Cyndi Lauper. So I think that that kind of <clears throat> automatically kind of pushes that song, you know, up above the original version of it. Yeah, definitely. And that's funny. I I didn't. I mean, I've never been. I love that song and I love what Cyndi Lauper stands for. But I'm not really familiar with like her back catalog. I didn't know that was a cover either. Yeah. See, there's a ton of these. There was a lot when we were talking about this on the morning show. There was a lot of songs that would pop up that I don't think a lot of people realized they're, they're actually cover songs. I think girls just want to have fun was one of those, but then we also, it's really easy to go down that path of, Oh, well, I really like this cover song. And so people would just start listing off a whole bunch of different things or a whole bunch of different cover songs. But the question is, is it better than the original. And that's where I think this conversation can kind of go a little bit astray. Yeah, well, that's you, you and I were talking about it on the phone before we started the podcast. And one of the ones that was the most polarizing, you said, was um, Disturbed doing The Sound of Silence. Yep. And that people either loved or hated that version, and it was deeply polarizing. Oh, man. I mean, it is it is very polarizing. So what's your opinion? I like it. I like both versions. I like the original, and I even like Disturbed's cover of it i especially like when they were performing it live uh, but man there are some people that i know that just they cannot stand disturbed's version and they it doesn't matter what you tell them it doesn't matter anything they hate that version of the song <laughs> but then i know some people who love that version of the song and like it more than the original simon and garfunkel version of it well i know a lot of people who fall into the category of not knowing that that was a cover mm -hmm. i know a lot of people that hear that song and they go oh my god they've they've released this really beautiful dark ballad you know they've never done anything that sounds like that before and i and you have to tell them yeah it's a cover song but then once they've already fallen in love with the new version that um disturbed did you go back and play them the original version and they're like oh it doesn't sound as full. And I'm like, yeah, because it was recorded 30 years ago. They didn't have the production techniques 40 years ago. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, it just doesn't really sound the same. And I'm like, so so you get kind of – you also get kind of hooked into whatever. That's what I was going back to saying at the beginning of the podcast. If you have fallen in love with an original recording of the song, it's hard to beat that original recording because you just get attached to it. It represents the time in your life when you first heard it. So if the first time you hear the cover version, even if the cover version isn't as good – you might just get used to it mm -hmm. and then and kids are all about the production values now. If it's not as loud and it's not as squashed and smashing the speakers, they'll be like, yeah, it doesn't sound as good. Oh, I, I agree with that 100%. And so, but the, the other thing that's interesting, for me, here was my experience with that song. And I love Disturbed. I mean, I, I love Disturbed. And when they came out with that song, I didn't, I'm not a fan of it. And I, res I reserve the right to say as a fan and being in this profession, if you put your stuff out there and you've got fans, if one of my fans comes to me, I remember one of my favorite funniest moments with a fan that didn't like some stuff that I had done. Mm -hmm. We were, we'd come off Tripolar, we took a break, we made Connect, we come back out, we're doing a CD signing for the Connect album, the last Puppies album that I did. 
And everyone's like, hey, I love the record. Hey, this is great. Da, da, da. So good to see you. So good to be there. And this one kid comes up and hands me a copy of Connect and I sign it and I hand it back to him and I said, hey, thanks for buying the record, man. And he looks it down at me and he says, Tripolo is better. And he just walks off. <laughs> and I was like, I said, what? And he was like, Tripolo is better. And he just walks away. And it took me a second to digest it. I was like, and I got pissed. I was really pissed. I had a little rant in the car back to the hotel. I was like, that motherfucker. <laughs> like, and, but then at the same time, I was like, you know what? They bought it. It's their music more than it is mine. And if they, and they, if they're a fan, they have every right to turn around and say, Hey, I love the way you do this thing. I don't really like the way you do that thing. So for me being a disturbed fan, I was like, I just, I hear the original version of Sound of Silence and I hear this melancholy and this really beautiful, it kind of takes you somewhere, it transports you. And for me, the disturbed version just sounds a little too melodramatic, a little too, too over the top, too, just, just doesn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. And also because I know what disturbed sounds like and stuff, I'm like, my first thought is like, all right, let's skip to the next track on the record and get back to some heavy shit. And that, and that's just my experience. And so that's why I understand it's very polarizing. Like for, you got fans that are on one side of the fence or the other, and you're, you and me right now are on one side of the fence or the other. You prefer that version. I really don't, Mm -hmm. but that's the, that's the, that's the gauntlet that you run when you try to do a cover. I remember when, when we, the first song that the puppies ever released long time ago, uh, was a cover version of say my name by destiny's child. Have you heard about this? No. Okay. <clears throat> so here's the story. <clears throat> when I was just learning how to play guitar, I was learning mostly uh, Nirvana songs, Green Day songs, Silverchair songs, trying to learn Soundgarden, but that stuff is hard. But Green Day was perfect because Green Day is really simple and Nirvana is really simple. So I just learned Brain Stew, which for anyone who knows it is just the simplest riff in history. It's really simple, really great. And for a, a, a learning guitar player, it's great because you just hit these five chords really simply and suddenly you're playing a Green Day song. Mm-hmm. But I would wake up. This is what I would do. I'd wake up, I'd get breakfast and I would watch the top 20 countdown on TV from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the morning. And I would have my guitar there and I would pluck at my guitar in the commercial breaks. And for nine or ten weeks... Destiny's Child's Say My Name was number one. And it really pissed me off. Not because it, it's a great song and I love the song and I love R&B, whatever. But I was really into rock and I was really kind of pissed off that there wasn't more rock in the top 20. And every day I would be stuck with Say My Name in my head for the rest of the day because that was the last song that I would hear on TV. So I'd be walking around with fucking Say My Name in my head. And so I came up with a version of Say My Name over the brain stew chords because it actually works. You can sing that melody over the brain stew chords. Mm-hmm. And then that was and then that was the version that was stuck in my head. Took it to the band and I was like, hey, play this and I'll sing this over the top. And so they played brain stew and we sang it. And then we just sort of made up this version of it, put a little guitar solo in the middle, went back to the chorus, rocked out the the last chord progression and finished the song. It's like two and a half minute song. And we've started playing it at shows and people were like, that's the best. But also the song was a massive hit right when we started playing it in the clubs in Sydney. So people were like, that's the best thing ever. It's amazing. It's so much better than the original. But of course, all the punk rock kids that are just anti-establishment and anti-manufactured pop 
are going to say, yeah, it's better than the original. It's totally not better than the original. The original version is a great song, great production, great R&B song, great arrangement, all that stuff. But just because it was so different and so aggressive and quirky and weird and and also I said, say my name, bitch, which was where I first came up with calling the crowd my bitch, which I do constantly now. Mm-hmm. Um, but because that line was in American Pie, I was like, say my name, bitch. Oh, let's put that in the song that we do. It all just came together really perfectly. We recorded it and we were like, hey. Limp Biscuit got famous by doing a cover of Faith before, you know, a uh, significant other came out, but their first massive hit was Faith. So we were like, yeah, let's release a cover first and try to ride that wave. So we put it out and we had to legally this is the this is the other interesting thing about publishing law. That song has got something like nine or ten different songwriters on it. Nine or ten people wrote that song to get it to where it was. Mm-hmm. And when you do an arrangement of a song, if you do a cover of a song that is exactly the same, you don't have to ask permission. You just do a cover. It's the same arrangement. 100% of the publishing goes back to the original songwriters and everyone's happy and everyone understands what's going on. If you change the arrangement, it's not a straight cover anymore. So you have to go and ask permission. They still get all the money because it's, it's, a, it's a cover song. But you have to get their permission and say, hey, we're covering your song, but we're changing it up a bit. So the chords aren't exactly the same and the melody's not exactly the same, but it's still, it's, we're, we're calling it your song and it's your song and you're going to get, you know, we're going to register it and all the publishing money will go to you because it's a cover. So they have to sign off on it. And one of the 10 songwriters who wrote on that song said, I think he was like a hardcore evangelist. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, which is ironic because the song's all about like finding out that your spouse cheated on you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so yeah, your, your values are a little bit fucked up, but whatever. But because, I, but because I said bitch, that was his reasoning to say, no, that's not in keeping with the original vision of the song. I don't approve this. And so we had already recorded the song. We made a video. We'd done it. We were like, oh, we've recorded this thing, but before we release it, oh, we didn't realize we've got to go and get permission. So we send off the video and the song. And then they, they sent back a legal document that said, you are under instruction not to release this and burn and destroy all said copies of the master recording of said song. So we sent them a photo of us burning a, a CD with their, and also burning their letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then somehow it wound up on Spotify. It wound up on Napster somehow the next day and uh, YouTube and stuff. So it got out there somehow. I don't know. But um, it was leaked the following day and it became this thing that we became known for only because it was so different. It wasn't a hit like what it was for Faith, but that was because we weren't signed to a label at the time. But it got us signed. That was the song that got us signed to a label. But then unfortunately, because we did have a cease and desist letter, we couldn't put it on our album. So it became one of the things that we were known for live for years you know, and still when I do my solo shows now, people are like, you're going to put, say my name back in the rotation. I'm like, yeah, probably not. I might try and do a new cover, which is kind of what inspired me to ask the fans on Facebook, what songs would you want me to do if I was going to do a covers record, which I am working on the idea of doing. Yeah. And that's uh, going to be the perfect way to wrap up this edition of the podcast. There's one thing I do want to mention. Have you ever heard of Richard Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine? <laughs> I love Richard Cheese. I love everything he does, man. Okay, good. Because there's a lot of people who don't, they don't realize who he is. And what he does is he takes 
popular songs, everything from Slipknot to Sir Mix-a-Lot to Disturbed, and he turns them into lounge songs. And if you've ever seen the Dawn of the Dead remake that had Ving Rhames in it, you've heard Richard Cheese, because in the middle of that movie, there's a montage, and it's his version of Disturbed's Down with the Sickness, where you hear the, oh, wah, ah, 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 like that. <laughs> that's Richard Cheese. So if you're listening to this podcast yeah. and if you want to, be sure to check out a lot of Richard Cheese's stuff. Yeah. But as Shim, he's talking about he's potentially working on um, you know, an, an album of covers. And it was something that you put out on Twitter. And I don't really want your reaction to any of this stuff yet. I just want to go through a, a list here because people have been giving you suggestions. So I'm just going to read a few of these right here. We've got one person wanting you to cover uh, Change in the House of Flies by Deftones. Uh, there's another uh, person on here who's saying that it would be nice of you to, they, they actually list a whole bunch of Queen songs from Bohemian Rhapsody to Radio Gaga, Don't Stop Me Now, Fat Bottom Girls, and All I Want. And I got to say for that one, covering Queen has got to be incredibly difficult just because of the range that Freddie Mercury would show. I mean, you're, you're, you're going yeah. like, like pun completely intended here. You're toying with royalty there if you're covering a yeah. Queen song. You know what I mean? Uh, but then, well, that's why most people haven't done it. I mean, how many people have really covered a Queen song that you've heard of? The one that I can think of was Pussifer, and that's Maynard James Keenan's, one of his bands. They covered, I believe it was Bohemian Rhapsody. And it was a good version. But again, not better than the original. We got a lot of people on here. Uh, recommending you cover a silver chair song. I could do that. I mean, I could do that in my sleep. Uh, or uh, listing a few different silver chair songs as well. So, is there, you know, anything that you can think of that you would like to cover that maybe you haven't even gone down the path of yet? Like you haven't started it, but in in the back of your mind, you're like, you know what? Maybe I would like to do this. There is one that I wanted. I don't want to. I'm just going to say it because you know nothing secret anymore. But I. I've, I've been putting together some arrangements of songs. The main thing that I want to do when I do covers is I make sure they are different than the original. I do not do the same arrangement. I make it as different as I can and make it my own thing. Mm -hmm. Just because I don't think that I can do... I don't think I could do better than the original on any of the songs that I would want to cover. But one thing I've always wanted to hear... And, and someone will probably steal this idea. But I think I, I, I want to try to do a good version of... Um, uh, I think a really heavy version of Kiss from a Rose by Seal would be great. Mm -hmm. I think that would be great. I think that'd be awesome. I think it'd be great. If you did like really huge drums, maybe you bring in the orchestra because he's got a string section on it. But if you got like um, harmony, harmony guitars, like what Avenged and the, the, the metal bands do, if you did harmony guitars to do that, those lines in um, Kiss from a Rose and then all those beautiful harmonies that he does – I think that'd be interesting, but that is a that's a mountain to climb, and that is a hard song to sing. The in, the, in, the 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 notes that he hits, they're not normally when you're singing the melody, it kind of goes up and down, da 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 da. Like it's it has a linear format to it. There's a lot of stuff in there that is not linear at all. It's really hard to sing that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but I'd like to try. I'm gonna give a. I'm at some point I'll probably give that a crack. But a lot of the people's suggestions that came back on the comments when I posted that on Facebook were really good ideas. The one thing that I probably won't do is a is a recent song. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are like, you should cover the new, you know, like any like a Three Days Grace song or something like that. I'm like, dude, those guys kill their own songs. I'm not going to try to tackle that. They sound great on their own. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But like, 
but older songs and stuff from like yeah Bowie Queen I'd love to try and do something really different but you, it's got to be different and something that's a whole new vision for me because I really take it very seriously to, to pay respect to the people that that do those songs because I know what it takes to make a great song it ain't easy yeah there's even a couple of suggestions um, from different people here for Bon Jovi songs no that's not happening <laughs> <laughs> that's not no. That's a that, that's a hard pass. That's a hard pass. All right. Well, that's a perfect way for us uh, for us to end this version of Rockstar 101. And we have a couple of things to tease because we were going to talk about a couple of other things here. Uh, the big one though being that um, uh, there's a story up at Loudwire.com, and it was from the band Behemoth, where one of the guys from Behemoth had recorded and put on Instagram what looks like a mosh pit. There's this large crowd. And this group of people had kind of created a circle where there's it's an empty space. But when he zooms in, it's not a mosh pit. It is a, let's say, a fallacious act being performed in the middle of this crowd. So what I wanted to do is ask Shim, what's one of the craziest things that you have <laughs> seen on the road? And so coming up in a future episode here of Rockstar 101, I want to talk about maybe some on-the-road stories because... Coincidentally enough, going back to when we were talking about um, the band, or the fan, I should say, who told you that he had you sign the copy of Connect, yeah. and then all of a sudden he was like, Tripolar was better, and he walks out. I kind of have a, a story similar to that with Papa Roach when we were interviewing them one time where they had somebody do something similar to them about that. And then that can also lead into the time that we ended up drinking Papa Roach's beer, right. which is kind of the synopsis of the whole story, but we were just complete idiots that day. Um, but yeah, so we have a, a few different things there that we can talk about here coming up on future episodes of Rockstar 101. So we're going to get to some road stories, some craziness uh, from the tour and things like that. And as always, if anybody has anything you want us to talk about, a topic, if you have a question for us, you can always hit up Shim on Twitter. It's at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M. M-O-O-R-E. Also on Instagram with the same handle. If you want to hit me up, you can do so on Instagram. It's Brandon underscore goat underscore coats. The last name is spelled C-O-A-T-E-S. You can follow us there. Um, and you can you can even follow me on Twitter as well. I'm there. It's just Brandon Goats over on Twitter if you want. But if there's anything you want us to talk about, by all means, hit us up because we want to talk about the things that you would like us to talk about absolutely so anything else to add here before we uh, wrap this one up shim no no i'm looking forward to the next one man so yep rockstar 101 this has been great thank you for tuning in please tune in next time his name is brandon he's still the dj his name is shim he is still the rock star class dismissed